It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HR recruiters, one actor, and those of us who like to make the world of work just a little bit better. Uh, Dr. Destiny, you're going to be leading us today, and we're going to be talking about something that is in the news everywhere, (laughs) and it's AI. AI is coming. AI is going to destroy the world. (laughs) As, as an actor, I'm going, geez, if they get my body and my voice on computer, they no longer need me. They can just computer generate everything. We've got, you know, like conversations now with computers and we don't know their computers. So where is this all going with business? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot, right? It's scary. It's exciting. It's like curiosity, like there's so much out there. And and I'm very excited about this topic for so many reasons. One, because we have a lot of people on today here that are going to probably blow our minds with perspective, thoughts, and maybe even what they're seeing out there. But two, because it's so incredibly relevant. For example, one of the ways that I researched today was through some of our AI uh, platforms that are readily available. One, you know, the most common one that we are talking about is ChatGPT. I wouldn't say that that's the most evidence-based approach, but I did ask it some questions. But there are other apps that really do pull from evidence. For example, there's an interesting one that I've been using a lot of lately. It's called Consensus. It's where you can actually go and ask it questions and it will pull evidence straight from research. In our field, stuff like that's super critically important to come to the table with the evidence-based uh, research. So you can ask it. And it'll, it'll provide, and not only will it provide, but it'll pull straight from the quote that supports or does not support that, and then also provides you a direct link. In ways, if you're not considering bringing AI to the table, then you're probably going to be at, or not probably, you will be at a disadvantage, a competitive disadvantage very soon if you aren't already. And then also a Asif hater is on today and he's a machine learning and data guy in, in a, a different perspective. And him and I recently did a, basically a presentation to a bunch of people in the um, Air Force and Space Force and a lot of your big consulting firms on mapping a blueprint of organizational use of AI implementation and deployment and like maintenance. It was so interesting because Many people that are creating AI don't realize that human in the loop is a concept where there's always going to have to be humans involved in the process of AI. So while people are scared at every point along the way, a human should be involved in this space. So excited about the conversation and where it will go. Well, let me ask you, maybe see if this is a question for you too, but how long before I can replace my IO psychologist with a computer AI? 
I mean, you could do that now, but why would you want to do that, right? So we're still in those really initial stages of something that is new. Where I think AIOs really fit into this space is that we can create, you know, really structured approaches to how to use this. We can bring the people together. We can talk about the human, the end user experience. We can also hello, we create the best questions out there. Okay. So we know how to prompt these things the correct way. So instead of running away from it, you know, really thinking of it as a tool to like complement bringing that human, you know, approach in, because at the end of the day, don't you want to use this information to make decisions that will ultimately impact the humans? Yes. So that's where, you know, we will always be relevant in this space as long as we see ourselves relevant in this space. So how is, is AI going to affect business maybe on a larger scale? You know, how, do we, how, how is it going to help my organization? Where can I incorporate it? And how do I get past my fear level? Oh, well, that's a lot. That's a lot you just asked. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just asked ChatGPT, for example, because, you know, that's something I like. I said, what are some of the ways businesses might have to transform due to AI? It said automation of routine tasks, personalization, predictive and analytics, improved efficiency, new business models, right? But it doesn't talk about the reflection of those and how they are, you know, how those things impact your small, medium, large business, how they might impact your employees, how, you know, and so that's one thing. And that impact and that potential impact is where that fear comes in, Right. So it's really about, and something that Asif and I did during this workshop was we created a strategic communication and engagement plan for leaders and for end users. And then we talked about change management and design thinking in that. And we talked about having a change advocate. So your change advocate works as your influencer. You know, they're the ones who are like really knowledgeable and they're like the the cheerleaders, right? But a top, you know, if you're a leader talking to people, talking to an organization or your employees, the way that you communicate this, this implementation or use of AI is going to be very different than if you're an end user trying to get your top to understand your challenges. And so where we can kind of talk in that in that space is about that strategic engagement is really where like you're going to kind of alleviate those fears because it is fearful. It's a new territory. It's a new playground. Uh, and so we have to get really used to just, you know, alleviating and and self like and, sh- and assuring that these things, yes, they're going to be implemented and changed, but we have to figure out how to work together to make sure that it doesn't, you know, have negative implications for everyone. So involving people in that collaborative, you know, way will be really good for making those fears like less impactful. Oh. Well, let me go to you, Linda Ann, and, and let's set up a little scenario where, you know, Dr. Destiny has walked into your office, you're the head of HR, and she's going, we're bringing AI in, <laughs> and it's going to revolutionize our organization. Um, you're my HR person, and I'm coming to you, and I go, does this mean I'm going to lose my job? How, how are you and HR going to deal with all of those issues, or, or are they going to even be there? Oh, I, I'd never say that there isn't going to be an issue because people surprise you all the time, right? So, (laughs) um, well, I I think it's really important as human resource people to be on uh, the front edge with this because number one, you're dealing with everybody else who may have those fears, right? And you want to have a clear 
way of communicating about how you expect people to embrace, um, use, and adhere to company policy as they use that tool. You know, I'm working with one uh, company uh, that's a smaller company, but they were putting in place their employee handbook and I had them put in an AI policy already. And it defines how you're expected to um, get authorization for using it. How do you communicate with your clients that you may be using it? What kind of transparency do you do you need? Um, what are the compliance aspects of it? And I know we don't have much in the way of compliance, but it's there saying we need to think about the ethics of it. So all of that needs to be out in front so that you're not going, holy crap, look at all these fires I need to pull out. So answer the questions before they're even asked. Get it. Get it. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> let's see how many organizations actually implement that. Uh, Aaron, let's go to you. Hey, Tom. Yeah, I think it's really interesting looking at AI just... As you mentioned, the first thing we do is think of, oh, hold on now. We've seen this in sci-fi movies. This is this is scary. But the opposite end, if you think of AI, you know, we think it's artificial intelligence that makes it easy to see it as like this external, like usurper of our our jobs and our abilities. And oh, you're going to replace me as a human being. Well, that's years and years out. You think of it as a tool and instead of AI being artificial intelligence, I think we should call it something, well, not really call it, but think of it as auxiliary or augmentary intelligence because it's a tool. You're getting out what you put in, you know, similar to Destiny, Dr. Destiny Pre. I asked ChatGPT some concepts when it came out and it was pretty fun thinking, oh, as a coach, you know, let me bring a problem to ChatGPT and see what would it feel like to have this basically coaching me. And ChatGPT at its current state is really, really good at reflective listening. It's not very good at saying, oh, it sounds like you don't like your job or it sounds like you don't know who you want to be. It can't infer things at this stage. And of course, that brings me also to like what Linda Ann was talking about in HR, considering things like what database is this using? You know, when it goes back, what we put into it is what we're going to get out of it. Using an example from a training workshop I did, um, I we were just it was a late day. We were pulling some stuff, putting some some pictures, some stock photos, and we talked about hiring. Then we talked about firing. We looked at it the next morning. We said, "Oh, all the hiring photos we put were white people, and all the firing photos that we put were individuals of color." I said, "Oh my!" And that's because the automatic database we were drawing from had bias. And so we think of, okay, what's the bias that we're pulling from if every single person puts their opinion into chat GPT? You know, what coaching will you get? Will it just be hive mind? Things like that. And so that's the first thing I think of. Alternatively, that's again, a scary point. But also when we got the internet, we were able to speed up the creative process so fast. And so I also think, yeah, in 10 years, we'll have this sci-fi like you know AI, but at the same time, maybe we'll have space travel in 10 years because we've sped things up so fast and the AI can come up with algorithms so quickly. So there's potential in both directions, but it's how we use it. And I think first and foremost, thinking of it as the tool that it is at this stage is the first step. Well, I like the idea of work cookie in space. That would be really cool. But <laughs> Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I think we have to look at this from a historical point of view, whether we're talking AI or a new technology of any kind, from the wheel to the computer, you will have people who are excited about it. You will have people who are completely against it. And then there's people somewhere in between. 
I think it's important to remember that AI is not a sentient being, which is why I think there's a lot of fear out there of this robot overlord taking over. And we're nowhere near such a reality. There's more A than I in it a lot of times. And so it's important to remember that what we're talking about here are things that are programmed by human beings to get them going. Are they capable of learning and growing? That's another topic. But at the beginning of all of these conversations, we are the creators of this thing. So it's going to benefit some things. It's going to not be so great for other things. But I think it's definitely worth investigating. And especially when you look at organizations, keep in mind, what is your competition doing so that you are not left behind? You have to be smart about it. And going at it with fear or a dismissal that this is just another fad could backfire. So we have to really look at all of this in perspective, because to, to blindly run into it as this is the next best thing, well, that's irresponsible, but no more irresponsible than just rejecting it out of fear. So let's understand it for what it is and see how it can be helpful to us. And as with any technology, it's also critical to remember that it's supposed to be a tool. It's supposed to help us. Don't let it become your leash, which so much of technology has become for so many people, where now you can't get away from work, for example, because you're on call 24-7 thanks to the helpful technology that we now have. So we have a responsibility there, right? AI is not this evil thing. It's not even sentient. We have a responsibility of what we're going to do with it and how we're going to use it. You, you raised the, you know, the historical perspective. And I can remember, you know, a computer took my job or, you know, a robot took my job. Are, are we going to see the same thing with, with AI? And as corporate leaders, do we have a responsibility to transition those employees into new careers? Absolutely. I think that seems to be almost an innate fear in humans. If anybody out there remembers this old cartoon, The Jetsons, like, we really thought that we would do no work because all the computers and all the robots would do everything for us and we'd just shop, that that would be great. But I think we really get ahead of ourselves with our hopes and with our fears. So as we embrace new technology of any kind, we have, again, that responsibility. If a task is going to be performed by a machine now, then let's utilize the intelligence and the uniqueness of a human for a better task. And that responsible, responsibility falls on the organization, the leader, and each individual. Don't just sit there and wait for your job to be taken away by a robot. That's silly. What are you doing for your personal growth and advancement so that you can move forward and upward? Yeah, it's incumbent on all of us to, to keep you know, up with, with what's going on in the world because it is changing quickly. Uh, Asif, let's go to you. Hi. Hello. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tom. I, I kind of want to go back to what you said earlier about digitizing yourself, and, and that's already happening. Robert Downey Jr. was the first person to be digitized where he will be able to have a legacy for the next 200 years if he wanted to. Uh, they will create his 
version and have his family paid for however many years Hollywood, you know, would like to use his popularity, right? Um, so I think Destiny mentioned a few things that we've worked on. And one of the things that I want to emphasize again is the questions you ask, right? Uh, part of our presentations, we discussed a muffin and a, a dog, right? Uh, because a muffin and a dog kind of looks alike if you put the image together and the dog and images, dog images and a muffin images, they kind of match up. And, and, you know, you start asking questions like, what is this? This is a dog or a muffin. But now if you emphasize the question a little bit more and say like, you know, how do I start the process of machine learning and how I'm able to identify a dog versus a machine uh, muffin, I have to be very creative with the questions, right? Ask the questions of, is it yes or no to a dog, right? Or ask a question, is it a muffin? Yes or no, right? So so your ability to ask a simple question and ask in multiple ways is your first step. And and that leads you into your whole capability of how good are you with decision-making, right? So your decision-making capability has to be augmented because if you are augmented by an artificial intelligence or machine learning, uh, by the way, I'm taking a little pause here because I don't want to call it an AI anymore. I want to keep calling it machine learning, but I'm going to fail miserably if I call it machine learning because we know AI more than we know machine learning. But machine learning is what the reality is. Um, so I, I will give you a little historical perspective, right? We've been using machine learning for a very, very long time, which is ultimately the AI that we call today. Uh, this Zoom call is based on a machine learning system that's able to optimize its ability for me to reach you, uh, you know, with nanoseconds of differences. Um, but prior to the Zoom calls, we've been using cell phone calls. And those cell phone calls are based off of, <clears throat> excuse me, my language is skipping, um, is based off of HMM, right? What, what it does, it helps for me to make a cell phone call using machine learning capability, AI, to have that call receive you very easily and without any distortions, right? So it augments your ability to make phone call actually, and has been doing that for many, many years. Prior to that, you have your Google search. Destiny mentioned scholars, right? The scholar uh, documents that are from Google scholars. Um, th those are based on all machine learning capabilities. But however, Google has done it very safely and very thoughtfully, right? As in, they didn't dump chat GPT into the population on day one and had 100 million subscribers within a week, right? That's right. not what they did. They've been using it very soft and slowly. So if you do Google translation back in 2016 versus 2022, you see a day and night difference in Google Translation is because they did that methodically where they did not just jump into say everything here is an AI, right? They did not advertise it. They they kept it behind the scenes. So I, I think I applaud about that, Google. Like I said, this is a that was a good approach. That was a safe approach. Um, you saw the product and you didn't see the machine learning that much, but machine learning is what made Google where it is today, right? Um right. And one of the things that I always have to discuss is the human in the loop, which me and Destiny always discuss human in the loop. Um, uh, the human in the loop is Alan Turing Institution's big push. Alan Turing being the guy who originally coined artificial intelligence. His, his institution's big push is that human in the loop, right? How do we uh, keep the humans employed and have the humans uh, needs met through artificial intelligence, which is to say, how do we augment a human's capability using artificial intelligence and machine learning. So uh, when, when it comes to jobs, you know, not all jobs needs to be done by a human. Absolutely not. When you collect the garbage and you're able to recycle and process that garbage collection, and you're able to do it much more effectively without 
putting a human lungs into a, um, a, a smelly container, right? How can you do it better? I'm a military veteran myself. I've been through the burn pit, so I appreciate my lungs more than I've ever appreciated my lungs before. <laughs> um, I've been through the burn pits, you know? So the thing is, uh, you, you want to replace humans in many aspects. And when I say military veteran, I also mean, how do you, and this is a little touchy spot, but how do you disengage the humans in the war zone? Right. If the war is a must have war, how do we disengage um, the humans from the war and have the machine have the war for us? Right. right. Long story short, uh, we, we want to go down this path to understand that how we can augment the humans and have the humans uh, do more without really losing much. Right. Um, because the human resources are very limited. Um so with that, you know, I, I've given some historical perspective, but I'm kind of walking into the fear zone, right? Um, and and it's important that we reduce that fear because more you approach and more you engage this topic with fear, more distance you'll create. So one of the ways to disengage from that fear is to have that understanding of hidden layer, the black box of AI machine learning, right? It's, it's garbage in and garbage out, just like uh, Aaron mentioned, right? If you have garbage in the database, you'll have garbage out in the user interface, right? Um, so one of the ways you can uh, eliminate that is to understand what happens between that database and the user's uh, system that users engaging the data with, right? What happens in between? How did that data get there? Um, so this kind of information, I think, reduces the fear a little bit. And uh, uh, I guess... You want to start with the people first, right? Like if if what I'm talking about is all technology, I haven't really talked about the humans yet. And, and for the people that are engaged in it, if they start the process, if they give birth to the process and that process is what gives birth to the technology, we would not have this issue today that we have with fear of artificial intelligence because we had certain amount of interested people in technology. They said, I have a technology vision. I'll create that technology. Then people came around, get involved around that technology. I mean, that's just the nature of where things are, right? right? But if we were able to reverse that now, now that we have a chance of putting out mass information, how do we engage people so that what people can give birth to the process and that process gives birth to a technology, which ultimately solves all the human pains and human problems? provides us more, more solutions and insights and early detection capabilities, augmenting capabilities. And if anything, just replace the human completely. Because like I said, you don't want a human around a burn pit or a garbage pit, right? right. Um, so with that, I, I wanna stop right there. Uh, my name is Asif, like Destiny mentioned. Um, if you have any need for understanding of the complex layers that we call neural network and machine learning, um, reach out to me and I'll, I'll be, gladly level setting everybody's understanding of machine learning so that way we can approach this topic with more interest rather than fear. Well, we're glad that you're with us today to help us navigate this. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I think it's really important to understand um, a couple of things. One is machine learning or AI isn't all that new. It's been around for a few decades now, right? It's only the accessibility that is changing. And so, um, yeah, that's different, but it's not this new thing that nobody's been working on and um, is ready to kind of give it to everybody and it'll blow up. I don't think that's the situation we're in. Um, there's a little bit of culture when you look at, you know, why do people fear it? And if you, any of you, <laughs> remember the movie that came out about 50 years ago called Space 2.0, 
2001 A Space Odyssey, that's where the the computer kind of became semi-sentient and took over in an evil way, right? So um, I think that's where some of our cultural fear is based. But it's when you think about it, like when, when word processing first came, was introduced, right? There were, it used to be that a lot of people in business had a secretary or an assistant to do all that typing for them. And then that fell back on the um, actual uh, leader or whomever, you know, because second people didn't get, they didn't replace secretaries, right? It wasn't like people really lost their job, but people didn't get replaced um, for that. And that's where you think about the issues that people are concerned about as far as losing their job. It's a, it's really only on the front end and transients that that really changes a whole lot because you have to look at what's coming out the other end. What new opportunities are being created through that process that, yeah, maybe it depends on where you are in your career. That might be a little bit of a difficult, difficult transition, but it's a, think about it as um, you need to look at the trees or the forest and not so much the trees. You know, there's, there's as much or more coming out the other side than there is um, being eliminated. Very true. Rich, welcome back. Let's go to you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to belabor the point on historical context, but, you know, auto, uh, predictive text has been around since 1970. Autocomplete's been around since 2004. Salesforce Einstein came out in 2016. So, I mean, these are things we've, you know, we've just take for granted, but, you know, it's all AI. I think the poster child right now is ChatGPT and Bard and, and all that stuff, right? So, um, you know, that having been said, uh, I actually just I just wrote an article for, or not an article, uh, for an assignment for school last week uh, at Purdue University uh, Global. And uh, one of these things was like self-efficacy among older workers in the workplace, right? So uh, specifically pertaining to IT-related um, pieces. And I'll, I'll put a the citation in the chat here for everybody to take a look at, but, um, you know, technology gets deprecated over time. It just happens. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I have a brother-in-law who is like, I'm a sequel guy. Like I just do, I'm like, they're writing sequel scripts faster than you can, you know, then the, then the orders come through. Right. I mean, so what, I think one of the things from like an OD standpoint is that we have an opportunity, both as consultants or as HR people or whatever, to kind of look at what's what's that new technology that we're going to be adopting into here and start training on that now to level up people and to to have that self-efficacy among among the workers so that they remain relevant, right? And they're not going you know, oh my God, where's, where's my job going? Well, hold on. We had, there's, there's a pathway to there. Right. Um, so I think we have a, a little bit of a, of an opportunity there uh, career wise. Right. And then uh, also uh, a responsibility from a, um, you know, a strategic HRM standpoint. Well, the pace of life has increased so much and the pace of change in business, like if <laughs> We should get that out loud and clear. Like you need an IO psychologist in your organization or at least one consulting with you just to navigate this. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. And 
If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IOA path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Dr. Casey, welcome to the show. Let's go to you. Well, hi. Thanks for having me. Um, this has been a really interesting conversation to me on a couple fronts. One of the things uh, that really has me thinking about this conversation is this idea around um, advanced learning, right? So we heard about how AI or machine learning is getting smarter. Um, one of the fundamental issues that still exists with AI and specifically machine learning is its ability to learn and adapt moral and ethical decision-making, right? Um, MIT actually did an interesting study uh, using uh, essentially the old trolley dilemma from psychology with uh, an autonomous driving vehicle. And how do you teach an autonomous driving vehicle the best ethical or moral choice to make should its brakes fail and it has to make a decision between hitting pedestrians or hitting a wall and potentially harming the driver, right? Um, so one of the questions I'm, I'm wondering if someone can ask answer for me is how do we continue to progress machine learning to really understand the moral and ethical decisions that humans have to make every day. And maybe that's a spot for IO psychology to fit in with business. Um, we're talking about you know, the human of the loop philosophy. And I think as long as the machine learning fails or lacks that capability for pure, honest, ethical and moral decision-making, that humans will always need to be required for that, right? That's where IO psychologists come in looking at what is the moral and ethical choice that we need to make here? If you go to any AI system, any chat GPT or, or any other uh, you know, software program and you ask it an unethical question, how do I rob a bank? It will literally give you the answer, right? Um, it will tell you, this is, this is how you should do it. So ideally we would like to see, you know, that the system will say, well, you shouldn't do that because that's wrong, um, you know, and I'm not gonna help you with that. So these are things that we have to think about. It also brings up another challenge on potentially nefarious activities that people could use AI for. And we've seen some of this already, deep fakes, right? Uh, propaganda of, of individual voices, uh, stuff like that. So how do we bring AI as a wonderful tool that we can use, but still confine it to the moral and ethical decisions that we need to hold, hold true for our society? Can anyone answer that for me? Um, <laughs> you know, oh, look, there's some hands coming up. So, so I see if you jump in. Yeah, the, the, the trolley uh, scenario and Tesla car scenario, right? Uh, of course, uh, if you listen to maybe Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, they will talk about he went to Arizona and he saw the cars in Arizona driving around by themselves, picking up customers and dropping them off. And there's many ways you can 
full a system, right? So, so, so for system to like um, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Grzeg mentioned that you know you have these uh, scenarios where uh, you want the product to work as an artificial product, not an intelligent product, right? So it's more like an A, not an I, right? If we, once we start calling it something it's not, that's when I'm really worried about. That's when I think the ethics violation starts, right? Um, if you look at it just as an artificial product, the, like an artificial sweetener, right? It's not really a food. It's just the artificial sweetener. And you call it artificial, right? So if you call it artificial, you come at it from a different perspective. And that perspective will lead you to understand that if you don't augment an AI with more technology, it will do what it can do with what you just told it. Right. So if you think about Tesla cars right now, they took away some of the technology that was assisting original Teslas to drive better. But once they took the technology away, it started it started doing things that it wasn't able to do without that technology. Right. Which is that the LiDAR system, um, the system that's able to which was able to capture far more um, down the down the path. Right. So if you're able to see down the path further because you are using more technology to give you a better computer vision, it's able to do better audio detection. Right. It's able to calculate faster. You have to enable that artificial product for it to do more ethical, ethical uh, behavior. Right. Ethical behavior comes from adding more technology into it. Right. Because what we're trying to do is take the human intentions away and put the human intention somewhere else. Right. That's the ultimate decisions that we, I think, collectively are making at this point that says we can focus on so many other things. If there was only an artificial product that was a lot allowing us to not to pay attention to this topic right here, which is to say, how do I break my car or break it for a duck or break it for a mice or break it for a person that's in front of the car. Right. Um, and, and that leads me to my whole, uh, uh, you know, the scenario that I walk, work through, the, you know, the corporate uh, um, uh, decision makers to say, like, look, your fear is that, you know, you don't have enough to do AI, right? Because that's what the standards that they're thinking of that, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking of ethics, actually. I'm just thinking of, you know, how do I do better business this quarter and next quarter, right? And, and how do I implement ethics to that conversation, I say, look in between layers. Don't dump anything out of what you've already collected in your inventory. Look at it in between the layers. If you have brakes in your car and you have a foot that pushes that brakes, um, what do you need to understand between the foot and the brake? What, what needs to happen in decision-making, right? And, and if you start thinking of that, well, well, we already have lots of drivers. We already have lots, lots of brakes. Now we just have to have an augmented uh, artificial product that will help us to, uh, you know, Put that put that brake in check, and then have the car come to a full stop, right? This is in between layers thinking that will allow us to move forward ethically. Because when you when you're concerned with uh, uh, the 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 economy, the finance, the pocket, the money that comes out of my pocket, and then how how it robs me of my opportunity in the future, we come to a different conclusion. But if we talk about the things that are like you know, without really spending money, you can do so much already today. Right. And then you start talking about ethics. Now it makes sense because you want to do those things ethically because it's already in your inventory. Um, I hope I kind of hit that point, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> but, but let me ask you this, because you know, I've heard it said out there that, you know, we're in the wild, wild west of, of technology and that what we haven't really seen is government regulations. You know, they have been lacking in technological developments. Is it time to get government to give us some ethical direction when it comes to AI, or do we want government to stay out of things and we'll deal with this ourselves? 
what we have already available is GDPR, right? Um, that's that's the first standard to look into and say, like, if America, if North and South America doesn't and Europe does, who will North and South America follow? It will be based on Europe, right? Whoever comes up with it first. Um, so if we follow GDPR first and if we follow AI uh, conventions that is happening or already has happened, I'm not sure about the dates, but they have come up with some AI regulations that said, you know, if you cannot do social scoring, right? You cannot put social scoring just like China does with their citizens based on AI machine learning. You, you cannot do that. It's just not going to happen in Europe. So when it comes to US, for us to not have a regulation and we're looking for common sense approach, let's look into the Europe, start following that uh, model. And then once the US government comes around to it, I think Chuck Schumer and Elon Musk had a meeting the other day where it's obvious indicated that they, they will start regulating uh, because the White House has put out principles but White House is not really pushing for regulations because it's an unpopular topic in the voting season. And, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, AI machine learning from Congress, I think the Senate will push something out. But the one thing I can almost guarantee is the Senate will copy and paste it and they will rush it. And the best way to rush it is to the GDPR, copy and paste what the Europe has done and configure it for the U.S. market based on maybe, say, Elon Musk's opinion or Jeff Bezos' opinion and, and moderate that for U.S. standards, right? Um, but I think we can get started with regulations just by auditing what the European AI policy is and auditing our AI based on that and say, how do we uh, create some more room once the U.S. regulation actually uh, comes out? Great. Thank you very much for that. Aaron, let's go to you. Hi. Yeah, the conversation is becoming very technical and speaking to like legislature and uh, next steps. So I actually want to take a second to step back to some of the themes that we talked about. We mentioned a lot about fear and I actually want to slow down for a second and choose my words very carefully because I'd like to call on to the people that are listening or those in this room that are still fearful of the AI. First and foremost, we do accept that AI is here to stay in some way, shape, or form. And as we've mentioned, it comes back down to garbage in, garbage out. And so having the ethics of us as human beings and playing onto, hey, we need to be as moral as possible when we deal with this. But I want to just give a little bit of validation to those that while AI is here to stay, your fears don't have to be, you know. Uh, they say that you get more conservative as you get older because you have kids, you have things that you've invested in, you have stability that you're trying to protect. And I want to say first and foremost that that is valid and AI does not have to take over your entire life. That's a fear that some will have. And so I will state, however, that human beings do move forward and it is an inevitability. And so the roles of those that are... Um, older generations is to make way for those that can handle these newer problems of AI. It's like, hey, as long as my stability is protected, I'm happy. That's the value that we see in those that are fearful of, hey, it's okay if you're scared to lose your job. You know, because if, however, if you are hardworking as a construction worker, there's going to be a hardworking other labor position that you may be able to fill and that stability will still come. And so, as we mentioned earlier, the responsibility that falls to businesses when they implement AI is to understand that while it might replace more of the frontline workers, we do have that responsibility to move those workers towards their next level that gets that stability. You know, we don't have 
We don't have individuals that go out and light the lanterns outside of our houses anymore because we have electricity. But you know that when that happened, when Thomas Edison came out and Tesla came out with, hey, we've got electricity, it's, well, I, I need to light the candles. You know, I need to light the candles still. What's my What's my role now? And so we're definitely going to have to address that as we move forward. But I wanted to just specifically call out that it's okay that this is a piece of change and it's okay to feel the way that you feel as far as those that are fearful at this uh, stage. That said, I'd like to call attention just to one resource. I believe it's called The Happiness Factor, and it's by Kirk Wilkinson. Kirk Wilkinson. And basically, it gets the assumption of how to not train yourself, but how to look at the world in a way of people are inherently good. That's the assumption that it makes. And that's the assumption that we need to make moving forward with AI. There is going to be evil and there is going to be malpractice. And it's how do we get ahead of that? But I wanted to make sure that we had that statement as far as fear goes, that we need those who are scared to reel us in. And we need those who are dreamers in order to say, hey, this is the potential. But that concludes my comments. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. A couple of things. Um... Continuing with the uh, fear that Aaron brought up here, I think Linda Ann brought up a really good point earlier about Hollywood loving to scare humanity with their stories. And if you think about some of the most popular stories, think about The Matrix. I mean, hello, right? Talk about fear of machines or technology, but look how popular that story was. It went on and on for several movies. So I think while intellectually, we know this is storytelling and people enjoy a good story. I can't help, help but think that you can't unhear or unwatch what you watched. And now when you're faced with new technology, somewhere in the back of your mind, you may be wondering how far will that go? So I think that's part of the, the problem potentially for some people. The other thing is that whether we're talking AI, whether we're talking computers, whether we're talking a word processor versus a typewriter, oftentimes the problem that arises is simply because people don't know how to use this new thing, what to do with it, and how it can be a helpful tool to them. And when you feel lost amongst this new thing and you have these kids that just pick it up the first time and they know how to do it and what to do with it, and there you are feeling lost, that can very easily lead to people opposing something new simply because nobody took the time to teach them. And I think that's where organizations come in. If an organization is going to embrace something new, as they should, if you fail to embrace new things, you will go out of business. But you also have the responsibility to make sure that you bring along your workforce. Don't let people fall behind simply because they don't have that natural talent to just pick it up as soon as they look at it the first time. Make sure you teach people, show them how to do it, show them how to use it, show them how this can help them with whatever they're doing at work. And the last thing, Tom, you're not seriously suggesting that the government teaches us about ethics, are you? <laughs> I mean, that I couldn't believe you said that. I Linda Ann saw me bust out laughing. I think, you know, what happens, we don't have uh, regulations, but if you look at things that come out, 
we wait for stuff to explode here and there before we figure out we need to have some laws, rules, and regulations. So I think this is where we are right now. You can't just start imposing regulations without knowing what could potentially happen. It's almost like we have to experience some disaster before a government can say, okay, we can't do this because it, it turned out bad. Yeah, you got me there. Politics, ethics, government, no. <laughs> Maybe there should be someone in charge of that. Uh, Ariana, let's go to you. Hi, everyone. Good to see you. I personally, I'm excited about AI and its potential. I have only in just the last month got it started using chat GBT myself. And I think that to the previous point that was made, familiarity is a big factor. So I was kind of hearing about it and talking about it. For some reason, I wasn't getting started and using it. And I think that teaches you what that specific one has to offer. Obviously, there's all forms of AI, and this is just the most accessible at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see where other ones go. But I've heard of ones that will take your content and auto-generate PowerPoint slides. Like that could be a beautiful thing. So it could go in many different directions. That could be a useful tool for us at work. And there is truth in what's been said is there will be many new adopters of this technology. So if your competitor is, you know, getting support outlining things, which saves some time, auto-generating PowerPoints, you're going to be spending a lot more than your comp competing consultant, for example, in doing those tasks than they might be. So it's a balance, but I think it can be helpful. And I also wanted to validate the content myself. So I asked it, you know, anything that I had expertise in, I asked it about, like, distill 10 points related to this topic. Tell me what the best practices are. And so far, I've actually found it to be highly accurate. Obviously, we need to be aware of risks. So anytime there are statistics, quotes, political information, like cross-validate, do your research. You can use it as a starting point. Be aware of the risks it might have. Um, but I think that this could be a great thing that if we can become more familiar with, it may seem less scary. And like like's been said, just a new tool similar to the many scientific advancements that have been made in the last 200 years. Well, I'm going to have to do some research myself then. <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. I want to point out that in... In reality, a lot of us have been waiting for this um, and wishing for this for a long time, right? Because I and I'm like Dr. Uh, Dr. Martha, you know, I grew up on the Jetsons and we've been waiting for Rosie to live at our house for a really long time. <laughs> but but um, I think if we also have the perspective of, you know, think about what you do at work. And one of the examples for me is, you know, how much time I have spent, you know, typically doing research on Google and GPT will take that and, and do it for you in seconds. And it's amazing how much time that saves, you know, and yeah, you do need to do double check some things and whatever, but, but what it can do for you at work is take that busyness out and allow you to be productive. And so it's just how we think about um, the things and the, the perception of it. And um, I, one of the things I, I tell my daughter who's 26 is that, you know, you think your iPhone is wonderful, but your kids are going to laugh at you saying you used an iPhone, you know? So we have to just look at what, how does this continuously evolve? It's always going to evolve. Yeah. Walkman. 
Who remembers the Walkman? Um, I, I want to push back a little bit, Linda, and because it's, you know, from what I've seen, it's made us more productive, but I'm not sure it's actually given us more time. It just seems. Oh, no. We, we didn't no we haven't gained more time it's not like we're finishing our our uh like if we have a I'll say a quota of work we need to accomplish we're not we're not doing that in you know 30 minutes in a day and we can go home what we're expected to accomplish like when you think about what was accomplished in work before computers and before uh word processing all those kinds of things how much slower the pace of business was right um because you if you had somebody in another city, you had to wait for the mail to send them that document, right? So think about that. It's not giving us more time. It's changing how we use our time. Yeah. Remember the Sears catalog? Remember ordering things from the Sears? <laughs> Aaron, let's go to you. Hi. Yeah, actually, I was more or less going to reiterate what uh, Linda Ann had already mentioned. I mean, honestly, as we have AI and looking at like the internet and other technology that came, we can now do, and I think somebody mentioned it last week, last episode, that we can do in a day what used to take a week or a month. And so as we move forward, I think we need to be aware, especially next week, we're talking about ethics, talking about the morality as, as we include AI, we'll be able to do more work faster. And so I think a resurgence of mental health and burnout and that type of like balance, work-life balance is going to be reiterated as well as now I can do in one day what might've taken a year. So where's my balance again? Because now I'm doing 20 years of work in you know half a week, you know, ideally like super, super long-term, right? <laughs> but you thinking of extremes, but then we will have to talk more about, okay, where's our balance? Where's our burnout? Things like that of how much are we piling in as this augmentary tool? Second, talking about morality, I wanted to make a point of the trolley problem we talked about earlier. For better or worse, there are individuals in humanity of all sorts of, what do I want to say? personality types and strengths and you know diagnoses and ways that their brain work in different ways and so there will be individuals for better or worse that can quantify a trolley problem and have no issues talking about okay here's the direct process of morality that's at play right here that some of us won't because it's so abstract because it plays at your values and things like that and so I think as we talk about ethics moving forward, those are some conversations that might come up with AI being used in the future. Maybe we need a morality AI. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Direct us. Asif, let's go to you. Uh, uh, well, morality AI and constitution AI, I, I think there's some worth researching about constitution AI because uh, it was one of the uh, mor morality AI that you know came up once the large language model like ChatGPT came out um, to, to say, you know, how do we do more with ChatGPT using uh, morale, right? Um, so I, I wanted to hit on a few topics here, but uh, uh, one of the discussions that I like to have with anybody who's thinking about the future of AI, right? And one of the ways that I do that is to say, like, what do we have in our inventory today rather than to reinvent the inventory that we'll have in the future, right? Um, because where we are today is how we're going to get there. So one of the things that um, I work with is manufacturing intelligence. And from manufacturing intelligence, supply chain planning intelligence, and uh, enterprise resource plan intelligence, I can guarantee myself and everybody else that there will always be an issue of hardware, but there will be no issues with large language models. 
And large language models is what I'm utilizing right now in order to convey a message to you, right? So th these problems that we have based on text and based on the capability of communication uh, is something that we definitely will improve on with the next 10 years. I cannot guarantee you Rosita walking, running around from Jetsons, cleaning up stuff. That's because it's hardware-based. It will have to be imported from somewhere in Africa based on the rare earth elements and then somewhere from Asia for the purposes of putting it together and then having it shipped to California. This, the, the ship could have gotten lost somewhere in Pacific. Who knows, right? So the hardware issue is very complicated. But what we can do is the large language model piece. And the ChatGPT success is based on it requires very little hardware and it's able to execute just fine with the 5G capability that we have today. So hardware, as it increases in size or shrinks its size to oblivion, um, whatever the case is, the large language model will consist and persistently uh, perform to the level that your ability to communicate, to pick up the call to call your secretary or call your assistants or call your executives, whatever the case is, it will no longer require human effort because large language model will be able to replace that. So when we talk about chat GPT, I always call chat GPT the dumb GPT because it's only in its infancy stage, right? It's in its crawling phase at this point. All the mess up you're seeing is only giving you the signals of how much more it will do. Uh, and and, a, and a, if it's a bucket analogy, so there's a drop in a drop of water in a bucket. We haven't seen the whole bucket yet, right? So this large language capability is not going anywhere anytime soon. And what it will be able to do is reduce the type of communications that we have to do on a daily basis, which is to say, uh, earlier, I mentioned you know the the foot of a driver and the brakes. Think about a keyboard and the monitor that you see in front of you right now. You know you have to click a bunch of times. You have to use your mouse a bunch of times to get to the Zoom screen and then communicate verbally. We can reduce that time frame in the next ten years. Like somebody said earlier, you used to use iPhone to make phone calls. What? What are you talking about? Right? Um, I will point out Neuralink. They're already working on how to have BMI, brain-machine interface, so that way a Bluetooth system on the back of your head can read your thought process, quote-unquote thought process, to say, you know, how do you communicate to a system without ever moving your lips, right? You're just able to think it, and it will start texting, it will start typing, it will start reading things off to you. And if Neuralink was incredible enough, and I want to give the recent news of ChatGPT, is that they used an MRI machine to list, uh, to 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 have a chat GPT interpret what that person was thinking, right? So that's the very initial stage of what it is that I'm talking about with brain machine interface or brain computer interface BCIs, right? Uh, brain machine interface has been around for since 1980s, but it's picking up steam is because of the capability of optimizing using large language models, right? It's going to pick up that steam to say if you're able to communicate with your Bluetooth with a uh, um, now, the hair-like particles that are stuck to your brain, right? That's able to communicate with the Bluetooth and the Bluetooth is able to communicate to all the devices around you. How, how do you take a large language model and make that far more efficient so everybody can use it? At this point, it's, you know, being researched on a monkey, but if it's, you know, done for the humans, how can we optimize to the point that we're able to process that data and have Bluetooth send out that much data to a system uh, that, you know, I don't know how it's configured, but whatever it does, it does what it's supposed to do without really you uh, putting your effort into communication. Now, that being said, within the next 10 years, if without the hardware, we can do anything, this project management piece that we do in businesses as, as you know, IO psychologists, I'm sure you guys use project management communications a lot. The project management piece, if you think about it, there's so much communications that are happening based on mouse clicking and keyboard clicking. 
Right. So if you're able to eliminate the keyboard and mouse clicking and say, you know, as we create the project management, and I'm not giving you something far, far off scenario. This is actually happening in MS Teams today, where if you have a project management kickoff, you have 30 resources in your team, all 30 people get to the MS Teams and you are communicating. MS Teams is able to take your recording, transcribe it, take notes, and take those notes specifically based on your requirement gathering and have those requirement gathering create a document. And then that master document becomes your uh, living, breathing document for your project lifecycle to say, Every requirement in this piece, who's performing what, it's automatically being generated based on people's ability and skills uh, for that MS Teams meeting, right? If you join that first call with 30 people in it, you're able to say who's going to contribute what, how they're going to contribute. And at the end of the life cycle, you're able to create from that master document another document to say, this document will go out to the user for technical specs. This user will receive the legal notification and this user will receive uh, the functional specs of this uh, product that we're delivering and uh, uh, producing. And then we use that same document, same 30 resources to say, how do we do version iterations for the future lifecycle, right? So this is not off like into the future. This is already happening with MS Teams with Microsoft 365 Copilot. Um, yeah, so I'm going to stop right there. I know I've put a bunch of stuff in there, but I just wanted to kind of reiterate everything that's being said. Uh, it is possible, but what's actually possible is a large language model. And without going into the computer vision and the complexity of it, if organizations are not paying attention to a large language model, they're missing out on next 10 years of communication where somebody down the road will pick up the phone and have a communication with their assistant and people will make fun of them for that. They'll say, wow, you have to pick up a phone to tell them that? That was like a five second call. Why'd you have to pick up a phone for that? You know, it should yeah. have been done automatically. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's all changing. Uh, hopefully it's going to be good. Uh, we're almost out of time, but Linda Ann, let's go to you before I go back to Dr. Destiny. Yeah, very quickly. I think that one point that I want to make is that leadership for their teams absolutely needs to get on the, the wagon and figure out what it means to their business. Because right now, you think about if you did your strategic planning in October, November of last year, you need to be back and changing your strategic plan and your goals and your vision for your organization now, and then revise it again in November, because it's going to change that much that quickly and have that much impact. One thing that people, I think, don't realize is how much of, of uh, technology has been available to them, even within the softwares that they have current they currently use. Most people use a small fraction of what the current softwares do. And so really to look at beyond what you're learning in this little bit of what's been sitting on your desk anyway, I think you really need to take a bigger picture and, and look at that. And then the scope of when people talk about what well, we can do a year of work in a day, work is really the your work day is really about what is reasonably what you can reasonably accomplish with the tools you have. So it's not really relative, I don't think, um, to compare that. Um, and then the other thing is think about what this is going to mean for our physical being, right? If we're changing all of these aspects of our work, how is our body going to change and adapt? And how do we need to prepare for that? So maybe I don't have to sit behind my desk. I can get more exercise and <laughs> be healthier. Uh, let's hope. Dr. Destiny, I've, I've been noticing that the chat has just blown up today. Um, anything interesting there? Plenty, but 
mostly uh, just us kind of agreeing with each other. And on, there's been some good resources that we've shared outwardly on here. Um, and honestly, it's just because this topic is so relevant and so interesting in so many ways. It's so dynamic that it's hard to not laugh and engage in banter behind the scenes about some of the things that are happening or maybe some of the ways that we've been doing things that we didn't realize we were contributing to like the artificial intelligence collection of data, you know? So it's really, and I, I really loved, by the way, the robot overlord, like uh, <laughs> I, I wrote that down because I feel like that's exactly what people are seeing, like in their visuals, you know, and that's terrifying. I don't care who you are. So of course, there's a lot of fear, you know, out there. So, uh, but I really enjoyed this conversation today. And next week, we'll go into ethics. We still have to determine the last two uh, topics in, in this in this uh, overarching conversation about AI and, and business, because it's so relevant. It's changing every day that I feel like we should probably just kind of hold off and wait until see what happens in the next, you know, two, three weeks. <laughs> There'll probably be some big news story about five right? Before we go live, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You like you just never know these days, or maybe somebody will come up with an amazing like alternative. Or I know because every day I'm seeing things, you know. And 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 there's once again like we, we talk about this one artificial intelligence machine learning thing, but there's thousands out there um, that we're not talking about. So like maybe just understanding that the landscape is large and all encompassing and should be explored. Right. So. And what else can you tell us about what's going on with CBOC? I mean, I know there's lots yeah. of stuff in the background that we probably shouldn't talk a lot about yet, like, you know, potential book and stuff. But I mean, I know it's potential book. There is um, a lot of uh, podcasting coming up, uh, lots of <laughs> radio stuff coming up. Um, there's also, you know, next week, for example, is a very CBOC heavy, like membership week. There's a momentum session on Tuesday. There's another discussion on Thursday of AI topics, uh, a mind trap game, you know, on Friday. Uh, so those things are happening in the background. And then we still have the conference, the free virtual conference, August 10th through 12th, the connect, uh, network and grow in the field of IO and applied psychology. We're really excited about, um, so you know, and, and myself and Jeremy and, and all of the experts and coaches have been very engaged with the scaling and the growth of this organization over the last couple of weeks in particular. Um, as you can see here, there's more people here than most of the time on, on the on the discussion. So a lot more uh, variety of people con contributing. So it's very exciting. We're just really happy to have this opportunity to bring people together and yeah, hopefully see more growth. Well, it's always the highlight of my week, <laughs> getting together and having so much brain knowledge and talent around me. And I just get to ask questions. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think your job's a little hard. <laughs> All I was thinking when you say digitizing, I was like, can we digitize home? <laughs> Like we need, we could, we could use you all the time, you know. <laughs> and never pay me a cent. That's the problem. <laughs> well, that perhaps we should wrap for the week. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for coming. And we are out in three, two, one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seaboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community. 
gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.